You know, some people enjoy composing their own music, chord by chord, and others are happiest when they come across that one perfect song. Work is not a lot different than that. Whether you prefer building your own workflow or using a pre-made template, with Monday.com, you and the team can work in a way that's comfortable for everyone. Tap the banner to go to Monday.com and build your own amazing workflow or find an awesome template. No judgment. Money Pit is presented by Lumber Liquidators and Home Advisor. Now, here are Tom and Leslie. Coast to coast and floorboards to shingles, this is the Money Pit Podcast. I'm Tom Kreitler. And I'm Leslie Segretti. And what project is on your to-do list for today? If it is, slide it over to our list and give us a call at 1-888-MONEY-PIT, 888-666-3974. You know, it doesn't matter when you are listening to this podcast. That line is always open, always staffed, and always standing by to take your home improvement question. Because that's what we do. We help you get projects done around your house your apartment, your condo. Help yourself first, though, by calling us at 1-888-MONEYPIT, or you can post your question to the community page at moneypit.com. Coming up this hour with Earth Day just around the corner, it's a good time to consider going green in your kitchen. And we're not talking about green fruits and veggies, although not a bad idea. (laughs) We're talking about earth-friendly countertops. We've got tips on materials that deliver durability and are Mother Nature's best friends, Coming up. And adding shrubbery to the front of your house can be a great way to add curb appeal. Planting a shrub is also something most DIYers can handle without a professional. Landscaping contractor Roger Cook from This Old House is stopping by to tell us how. And building a new deck or patio to create new space for recreation and relaxation is one of the most popular projects of spring. But how do you know what's best, a wood deck or a brick patio? We'll help you sort it out just ahead. Plus this hour, we've got a very fun tool to give away. It's the iconic American-made Arrow T50 heavy-duty staple gun, along with a supply of staples worth 50 bucks. Going out to one caller drawn at random. Make that you. Give us a call right now at 1-888-MONEYPIT, 888-666-3974. Let's get going. Leslie, who's first? Carolyn, Arkansas is on the line with a septic system question. How can we help you today? Okay, I have a septic system, and... Uh, we've had a lot of rain here, um, oh, probably the last maybe three months or so. It's been like a lot of rain. And I'm in the uh, kind of the rice land of Arkansas. It's very uh, wet ground. Okay. So anyway, um, I was having trouble when I would flush the commode. Uh, it now never ran over, which I'm very grateful for. But the water wasn't going down. Okay, and, I mean, it would go down eventually, but maybe take 20 minutes or more. Okay, does everything else in your house drain normally? Is it only the commode that you're having a problem with? It's, uh, well, the commode and um, and the, the sink in the bathroom. Well, but do we know that it's the septic system? There could be an obstruction in the drain, and that's the first thing I'd look at. Okay, um, I did have uh, some fellows out and a uh, reputable company. And they did pump out um, 120 gallons. 
Well, you, that's but that you're you're always going to have 120 gallons. The septic tank fills up with water; it overflows into the field. So pumping out 120 gallons doesn't really tell me anything. What I want you to do is to have the lines checked because I suspect there's nothing wrong with your septic that you may have an obstruction. Let me tell you a, a story about a guy who had a, a toilet that was having a slow drain problem. Uh, this guy was having a party and was doing this big cleanup for you know before all the relatives showed up the next day, and so the toilet backed up, and so he figured out that he thought it was a, a root problem, and so he got up early the next morning and dug this huge hole in his ground to get down to this pipe and then snaked it one way, snaked it the other way, couldn't find any roots in the way, went back into the bathroom, decided that the obstruction had to be between the hole that he dug in his ground and the bottom of the toilet. And so he took the toilet tank off of the floor and looked down into it and tried to snake that out and couldn't find a problem. But in the process of taking the toilet off the floor, he happened to look into the bottom of the toilet and noticed that there was something blue there. Now, there's nothing that's really supposed to be blue that's in a toilet. It turns out that his darling son had dropped a toy phone down the toilet, and that's what was slowing the whole thing down. So this guy had dug up his whole yard, took his toilet apart, all to try to find out what was causing this problem and hurried to get it done before all the relatives showed up. And it turned out to be a toy that was stuck in the toilet itself. So I'd say that guy was a real idiot. And <laughs> that guy was me. Oh, okay. I'm like, I've heard this story before. I'm like, why do I think this was you, I was Tom? completely wrong on why I thought that, that I figured I was smarter than the average uh, home, homeowner and knew that it thought it was the willow tree that had clogged the pipes. It had nothing to do with that. Oh, right. It was just a simple toy that was stuck in the crux of the toilet that I couldn't see. And we finally got that off, put the whole thing back together, threw the dirt back in the hole, and and, and then headed off to get ready for the party. <laughs> so you never know well, why <laughs> your toilet is clogging. And I wouldn't always think it's the most expensive possible thing, which is your septic system. Have the lines checked. Okay. And who knows? Maybe you'll find uh, something that got stuck in there. All right. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Thanks so much for calling us at 888-MONEY-PIT. Art in Pennsylvania is on the line working on some storm repair. Tell us what happened. About a month ago, we had a windstorm, and it took off like three sections of shingles off of the roof, and I, I was able to retrieve them. They was uh, ironically in pretty good shape. But I remember seeing uh, a program on PBS where they were redoing uh, homes down in Florida in, in the section where they get a lot of uh, storms down there, and I think there is a requirement for the way that shingles are to be installed down there. And I'm thinking, uh, if, if I remember it right, and I didn't have a chance to see the whole program, but on mine, when I took mine off, there was only like three nails in each uh, piece of shingle there. And I think, if I remember correctly, that down there they were requiring that, uh, that there be more nails than that used to install shingles. Well, Art, your your goal now is to replace these shingles that, that you lost, and did you save the shingles? Were they intact enough to use the actual shingle for the repair? Because this way the color will match. Yes, yes, they were. They, they were in very good shape, yes. All right, so then what I would do is I'd get back up there and, and, you know, assuming you can do this safely, and you'll nail the new shingles back in. You want to put nails... You can put them pretty much where the old nails were, but, but of course, not in the same holes because they're going to be broken through now. You can't really put too many nails on them. If you want to put an extra nail or two, that's fine. 
but the key is after you get done nailing all of these down again, what I want you to do is to get um, an asphalt cement, and you can get it in a caulking tube and put a little dab under the loose end of the shingle so that the tab presses down and reseals. Because when shingles are new, they have an adhesive on the back of the tab that seals it to the shingle below. But when they're torn off, that, that adhesive is gone. So you put a little dab of asphalt cement in there, and that will keep it uh, in place and stop it from sort of lifting up the next time you get a strong wind that comes across it. Does that make sense? Okay. Well, I thank you very much. It's been very helpful. You're very welcome. Thanks so much for calling us at 888-MONEYPIT. You are tuned to the Money Pit. What's your how-to or decor question? Call in now at 888-MONEY-PIT, presented by HomeAdvisor. They make it fast and easy to find top-rated home pros you can trust for any home project. Just ahead, it touches almost all the food you prepare, but is your countertop earth-friendly? Find out when the Money Pit continues after this. You live in a Money Pit. Did you know that Americans take 20,000 breaths a day and spend an average of 90% of their time indoors? That's right. And according to the EPA, the level of indoor air pollutants can be two to five times higher than outdoor air and occasionally more than 100 times higher. Plus, every spring we get sucked with allergens too. Well, Air Doctor is an air purifier that filters out dangerous contaminants like pollen, pet dander, dust mites, and mold. Their Ultra HEPA filter has been independently tested to remove 99.99% of tested allergens, including bacteria and viruses. That's impressive. Now, Air Doctor also comes with a 30-day money-back guarantee, so if you don't love it, just send it back for a refund minus the shipping. And they're offering a special discount to Money Pit listeners. Just head to airdoctorpro.com and use promo code MONEYPIT, and you'll receive up to $300 off air purifiers. Exclusive to podcast customers, you'll also receive a free three-year warranty on any unit, which is an additional $84 value. Lock this special offer in right now by going to A-I-R-D-O-C-T-O-R-Pro.com and use promo code MONEYPIT. That's airdoctorpro.com, promo code MONEYPIT. Where home solutions live, this is The Money Pit. I'm Tom Kreitler. And I'm Leslie Segretti. And we'd love to chat with you about whatever project is going on in your home. Give us a call right now at 888-MONEY-PIT, 888-666-3974. And 1-888-MONEY-PIT is presented by HomeAdvisor. And hey, here's another great reason to reach out by phone or through the community section. We are giving away a truly fantastic tool that I guarantee you will use all the time, you'll find projects this will help you out with pretty much everywhere around your house. We've got up for grabs the iconic American-made Arrow T50 heavy-duty staple gun and a supply of staples. Now, this is the most popular American-made staple gun ever. It's all chrome steel housing. It's jam-resistant. It's got a powerful spring coil. You can see how many staples you've got left. And there are so many things you can do. I mean, I upholster everything. I staple things together all the time. I'm constantly using my Arrow T50. And you can check it out. You want to see some projects. You can head on over to arrowfastener.com, click on projects. So many ideas there. I promise you, should you win or if you've got one in your toolkit already, you know how awesome these are. You can check them out at arrowfastener.com. You know, I'm pretty sure I still have the Arrow T50 that was my dad's. I mean, these tools are just indestructible and they keep on getting better. We're going to give one away to one caller drawn at random. Make that you. Call us right now at one 888 Pit. 
Anastasia in Colorado's on the line with a bathtub question. What's going on? Well, I have a um, tub drain. I'm trying to get that out, the drain out, because it's, you know, I can't put a plug in it now. So what I've tried is the uh, drain remover tool, or it's a plug wrench, and then I also tried the flaring tool to get it out, and neither one of them works because the the little crosshairs in the bottom aren't still in there. Oh. Because it's like from 1960 tub. So you have nothing to grab onto, is that what you're saying? Yeah. So I've tried to get WD-40 in there underneath the tray, but I can't reach under there. And then I could crawl under the house, but I don't want to do that. <laughs> so I was trying to think of a better way of getting it out. If I understand it correctly, this normally would unscrew, but what you're driving, what you're trying to grab onto is either stripped or completely gone. Correct. I have only two suggestions for you. Um, number one is to hire a plumber, which is probably, you didn't need me to tell you that, but I will say that the plumbers are deal with this kind of thing all the time. And secondly, um, if, if I was a plumber and I was faced with this and, and there was absolutely no other way to get this off, I would probably drill it off and chisel it away, which you can do with a cold chisel. And it's not a pleasant process and it's time consuming and kind of a pain in the neck, but when all else fails and you just got nothing to grab onto, that's a way to get it done. All right, that's what I thought, but I thought you might have a little trick up your sleeve. <laughs> <laughs> but that's a trick, but it's a lot of hard work. Anastasia, thanks so much for calling us at 888-MONEY-PIT. Bill in Tennessee is on the line with a painting question. How can we help you? My house faces east, and, uh, of course, you get the, the west uh, sunset in the back of my house, but uh, that sun really pounds down hard on my house, and uh, I've got wood windows, and I've got a, uh, a stained wood front door. Um, my, my question is, um, would I get any benefit to, uh, I need to re, I want to scrape the windows down and repaint them. Would I get any benefit to uh, putting an exterior uh, kills type product on there before I paint it? Yeah, I mean, you always get benefit from priming the wood, which is what you're talking about doing. So sure, especially if you've got loose paint, you want to scrape it down, sand it down, get rid of everything that's loose, then prime it. Um, if you want to really do a terrific job, I would use an oil-based primer. And that's going to soak in and seal and make sure everything is nice and tight and attached to the wood fibers. Then you put your top coat on top of that of paint. So priming is always a good idea, and Kills is a terrific product to do that with. Okay, now let me ask you about the stained wood door. Um, what, what kind of product would you recommend to kind of seal that in? So the door is stained right now. Does it have any kind of gloss finish on it? No, it's kind of a... Um uh, it's kind of a walnut-type color. But it has no urethane-type finish on it? You think it was just stained? Um, well, it's about uh, house-built in 06, so it's a couple years old. It's uh, faded out a little bit. There may have been one there on there at one time, but it's... Um... Well, here's why I ask. If the wood door has never had any uh, stain and it never had any finish on it, top coat of finish on it, then you could just restain it. And so if you restain it, and again, if you sand it down, rough it up, and then restain it, you you know should be able to get a, a very rich tone. But then what you do need to do is put a urethane uh, on top of that. Use an exterior urethane because it has UV protection in it. And take the door off the hinges to do all the work. Set it up on a couple of sawhorses, you know, in your front yard or your garage. And then work on it there. If the door has already got a finish on it, then you may have to sand it down through that finish to get to the raw wood in order to restain it. Great. Well, I appreciate it. You're very welcome. Thanks so much for calling us at 888 Money Pit. 
Well, as Earth-friendly technologies improve, there's really no excuse not to consider the impact of the materials used in your kitchen on Mother Nature. And that starts with your kitchen countertop. That's right. You know, earth-friendly countertops are also people-friendly countertops. They're free of VOCs, which are those solvents that get released into the air and can cause a whole host of issues, but mostly headaches, dizziness, allergy issues. I mean, they're definitely not good to have in your home. Right. So how do you know if your counters are stacking up to that standard? Well, first off, stone countertops are beautiful and durable, but mining of any kind does affect land and water quality. If you do go with stone, you want to stick to one that's been locally mined. And the good news is, is that stone can be recycled at the end of its life in your kitchen. So it really never goes out of style or out of use. Now, solid surfacing is finally joining the green movement. Nowadays, you can find solid countertops that are made from recycled plastics, which would have otherwise just been sitting in a landfill. Now, the end product, that countertop itself, however, isn't always recyclable. But now there's new, more earth-friendly laminate counters that are out, and they're made of recycled plastic, and that requires formaldehyde-free substrate and also non-toxic glue. So it's all good stuff, and it's part of an improvement from laminates of the years past. But unfortunately, they're still not recyclable. They're better, but they're not quite there yet in terms of recyclability. Mm -hmm. And one more option is ceramic tile counters. Now, they're made from natural but finite resources. So look for more earth-friendly versions that incorporate recycled post-consumer content. I think that's really an important place to start. Yep. And just be careful, though, because some imported tiles might have lead-based glazes, and that's a bad thing when it comes to food. You are tuned to the Money Pit. If you've got a home improvement question, maybe you are redoing your kitchen. We'd love to chat with you right now at one eight 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 Money Pit. Joe and Georgia, you've got the Money Pit. How can we help you today with tankless questioning? What's going on? Based on the the high capital cost and the fact that uh, natural gas prices seem to be at an all time low, uh, what is the return on investment or payback period? And does the federal government still offer tax credits? Second part of that question. Um, is the annual maintenance contract that the installers offer really needed? Okay, well, first of all, the tax credits are less and less today. I believe there are some still some small tax credits. I do like tankless water heaters for a number of reasons, though. First of all, they last a lot longer than a standard tanked water heater. Secondly, they're really energy efficient, and you never run out of hot water. Very, very important to me since I've got two teenagers in my house. If I'm the third one to get in the shower, forget it. It's not going to happen. So I like the fact that they never run out of hot water. Uh, and I think if you compare the cost of tankless against not a standard inefficient tank water heater, but a high efficiency tank water heater, you will find that the difference is not that far apart. Um, the contractor service contract, look, you need to have this thing serviced like anything else. I, I don't think it needs a, you know, a big expensive contract. What it's typically going to need is a yearly service. And so I would have to probably judge that against what this contract covered. If the contract covered all of my gas appliances in the house and I felt like it was reasonable, I might do that only for the reason that we know that these gas appliances need service because they burn dirty and they eventually have to be cleaned. Uh, but I will say that these newer, more efficient ones need a lot less maintenance than the older, inefficient ones ever did. Okay. I guess what, I, what I'm hearing out there on the, um, on the installers is, um, these are standalone service contracts, and, and if you compare that to a traditional hot water heater, you typically don't see any service required. And I think the capital is maybe 10x difference. I mean, 
maybe $800 for maybe 900 for a hot water heater, and you're looking, I think, upwards of $4,000, I should say. Yeah, that sounds a little that sounds a little crazy. I'm not seeing that. I mean, what I'm seeing is if you bought a high efficiency tank water heater, it might be 1500 bucks, and if you bought a tankless water heater, it might be, you know, 2 grand or something of that nature. Uh, I'm sure you're going to run to contractors that are really driving the prices up and trying to create, you know, charge you crazy money for service contracts and things like that. You just might not be talking to the right guys, Joe. Do you endorse any particular manufacturer? You know, there's a, there's, a, there's a bunch of good ones out there. I mean, Renai makes a good one. Reem, R-H-E-E-M, makes a good one. I'd take a look at those. We're talking about gas, right? Yeah, natural gas. Yeah, I would take a look at Renai and Reem. Okay, excellent. Two good brands. Okay, Joe, good luck with that project. Thanks so much for calling us at 888 Money Pit. You know, adding shrubbery to the front of your house can be a great way to increase your home's curb appeal. Planting a shrub is also something that most do-it-yourselfers can handle without the use of a pro. We're going to get tips from landscaping contractor Roger Cook, who is the ultimate pro from TV's This Old House, to help us do that next. On the Money Pit Radio Show, pick up the telephone, fix up your home sweet home by calling Everyone should know that drinking water is important to staying hydrated and healthy. Having safe, clean water is the last thing you want to worry about, but unfortunately, according to extensive research by the Environmental Working Group, three out of four homes in America have harmful contaminants right in its tap water. That's why we are thrilled to be working with AquaTrue. AquaTrue purifiers use a four-stage reverse osmosis purification process, and their countertop purifiers work with no installation or plumbing. It removes 15 times more contaminants than ordinary pitcher filters and is specifically designed to combat chemicals like PFAs in your water supply. And they have water purifiers to fit every type of home, from installation-free countertop purifiers to higher-capacity under-sink options. They even have a Wi-Fi-connected purifier and mineral boost options. And its proprietary purification technology is independently tested by IATMO to NSF and ANSI standards to remove over 80 of the most harmful contaminants, including chlorine, fluoride, arsenic, PFAs known as forever chemicals, nitrate, and many more. I can truly taste the difference when I compare it with my old water filter. AquaTrue saves you money also. Just one set of filters from their classic purifier makes the equivalent of 4,500 bottles of water. That's less than three cents a bottle. Plus, you'll save the environment from tons of plastic waste. AquaTrue comes with a 30-day money-back guarantee and even makes a great gift. And today, Money Pit listeners can receive 20% off any AquaTrue purifier. Just go to aquatrue.com. That's A-Q-U-A-T-R-U.com and enter code MONEYPIT at checkout. That's 20% off any AquaTrue water purifier when you go to aquatrue.com and use promo code M-O-N-E-Y-P-I-T. Money Pit. The Money Pit is presented by Home Advisor. Find trusted home improvement pros for any project at homeadvisor.com. Where home solutions live, this is the Money Pit Home Improvement Radio Show. I'm Tom Kreitler. And I'm Leslie Segretti. Pick up the phone, give us a call right now at 1 888 Money Pit with your home improvement question. 
Susan in Texas is on the line with a water question. What's going on? My daughter has a country home she just purchased, and there's a 900-foot deep water well on it. And she wanted to know, does she need to use a water softener or a carbon filter for the drinking water? And also, how much electricity would that use, that water well? Well, the first thing she needs to do is to have a comprehensive water test done. Was that done? I believe so, because they had inspectors come out. But I don't remember what she said. Yeah, well, I wouldn't believe anything unless I had a result back from a, from a water testing laboratory. That's going to tell you what kind of treatment you need to do locally. So the first thing she needs to do is to get a water test done, a thorough water test done that's going to check for uh, all sorts of contaminants and pesticides and that sort of thing. And then based on that, you can determine what you want to do to treat the water. But you just don't start treating it first. You start with the test, and the test is what determines what needs to be treated. Make sense? Yes, lots of sense, yes. All right. Good luck, Susan. Thanks so much for calling us at 888 Money Pit. Well, adding shrubbery to the front of your house can be a great way to add curb appeal. And planting a shrub is something that most DIYers can handle themselves without a pro. Landscaping contractor Roger Cook from TV's This Old House can tell us how. Roger, this does seem to be the kind of thing that just about everybody can do, but it's pretty easy to make a critical mistake when you plant shrubs, and, and you're only going to find out this problem you know, several weeks later when they don't start to grow. Several weeks later and several years later when they grow too much and they're all over your house. Yeah, well, that's a good point. So what's the first step, choosing the appropriate uh, plant for the appropriate area? North, south, east, west, sunshade, wet, dry. All those factors that you need to, f- to look at before you even go to the nursery and think about what you're going to put in the ground. So it's a good idea to walk in there with your list of criteria for that space. Like, okay, I've got this corner, it's east-facing, we get a lot of sunlight, mid-afternoon shade, and then your garden center can say, these are good choices. Right. You, you've got a lot of programs online that will help you with the appropriate plants once you plug in that information. Mm-hmm. But it's great to go to a garden center and talk to someone who has real knowledge of your area and can help you out with a plant just right for that sunny corner. But sometimes it's difficult, though. For example, we have one line of bushes that go down the side of our house that are Manhattan Euonymus. They go from five feet down to about 18 inches under the tree because, you know, once they hit the competition from the tree and the root system and stuff, no matter what we do, you're never going to get anything that fills in in a spot like that. Well, that's what I call micro factors that you have to take in, like the the root system underneath a big tree like that. You have to find a plant that's aggressive enough to still grow under there. It may not be the Manhattan Euonymus. You may have to fish, you know, go to something real aggressive like an ivy or something like that. Now, I know when it comes time to actually plant whatever it is you've selected, I I hate to say it, but I tend to get lazy. Digging holes is not my most favorite (laughs) chore around the yard. And as soon as I'm like, meh, that looks deep enough. How do you know what the proper depth width should be for a hole for that plant? Well, what I find is people do a great job on the first hole, not so good on the second. (laughs) And and the third hole, they're jamming the plant in and stepping on it. Um, Two and a half to three times the size of the container or the ball. Deep, you, wide. Deep, no, wide, wide. Wide. And depth, depth is always two to three inches shallower than how that plant is in the okay. container or the ball. So you want part of it to stick up, actually. Just be mounded up a little bit. Because in nature, when you look and see a tree growing, they're never down in the ground. They never look like a telephone pole going in the ground. Mm-hmm. There's always a mound on the edge called a root flare. And that's supposed to be at the top of the ground. Too often we find that the root flare on a shrub or a tree is buried. Right. So one of the things you have to do is look at the top of that and maybe peel a little 
little stuff back mm-hmm. till you find the root flare, and that's where you make your measurement to. If you do cover that, can that sort of invite root rot and cause some it can illnesses? Do a, yeah, it can do a lot of things. Number one, it won't grow as well as it should. Number two, it won't mature into the specimen it's going to be, and then down the road it'll shot, start to show disease, insects, and problems like you were talking mm-hmm. about. Now, once you actually uh, dig the hole and, and set the shrub in place and you're conscious to make sure that you have the root flare where you need it, what about the soil that you put back in? Should you condition the soil that you took out in any way, mix it with fertilizer or anything like that? I always do. Uh, this is the one opportunity to give that plant some good soil to grow in. Right. So I add compost and I add loam and in some places I'll even add sand to the mix so that I get a good draining mixture that the roots can grow out into. And I'll use some of the existing topsoil that's good and mix it all together and then I backfill with that. What if the shrub has one of those burlap-wrapped balls? Keep the burlap on? Take Everything Take it off. all off. Because yep. I've seen people plant them right in the ground with the wrap on, and I'm like, that no, can't be right. I've seen professionals do that. And yeah. the, the new specifications that are coming out say take everything off you can. If you leave a little bit of wire, a little bit of burlap on the very bottom, that's not critical. What we do now is we remove everything, and then we go around the ball with a claw or a fork, and we loosen up all the soil. Ah. Those trees have been dug and put on trucks and hauled all over the place. Possibly for months. Right. And they're really compact. So you want to free the roots. Loosen them them up a bit. Exactly. And it also helps moisture to get down into where the roots are. So Roger, how much water do you actually really need to give that shrub to give it a good start? I like to see the shrub soaked. And that means laying a hose down and letting it run for maybe a half an hour at a slow drip two to three times a week on a new shrub for the first two or three weeks. After that, once a week for the first season. Now, if you have a lot of rain, you don't need to water. If you have real dry conditions, you should add in some extra waterings. Speaking of soaking, what do you think about soaker hose? I love it. It's great product. You can bury it down in and make sure you get it all, put it right around the base of the plants, out a little bit where the roots are, not around the trunk, and then just leave it there. It can stay there for a year or two till the shrubs get established. Then you can take it up and use it on a new bed. Great advice. Roger Cook from TV's This Old House. With your help, I know that our shrubs will be surviving and thriving. Thanks so much for stopping by the Money Pit. Thanks for having me. All right. You can catch the current season of This Old House and Ask This Old House on PBS. For your local listings and some step-by-step video on how you can plant a shrub and even other projects, visit thisoldhouse.com. And This Old House and Ask This Old House are brought to you on PBS by GMC Trucks and SUVs. Just ahead, building a new deck or patio to create new space for recreation and relaxation is clearly one of the most popular projects of this spring home improvement season. But how do you know which is best, a wood deck or a brick paver patio? We'll have tips just ahead in today's Building with Confidence Tips, presented by Rocket Mortgage by Quicken Loans, after this. Live in a body pit. Ohio, ready for some quick mental health facts? Let's go. Nearly 2 million Ohioans live with a mental health condition. In the U.S., more than 50% of people will be diagnosed with a mental illness in their lifetime. Depression is a leading cause of disability worldwide. So why are some of us still stigmatizing people living with a mental health condition when we know all of this? Let's listen to the facts and beat the stigma. Ohio, challenge what you know about mental health at beatthestigma.org. Money 
making good homes better. This is the Money Pit Home Improvement Show. I'm Tom Kreitler. And I'm Leslie Segretti. Well, whether you're planning a decor project, remodeling your kitchen or bath, or fixing a leak or a squeak, we're here for you every step of the way. Call in your question now to 888-MONEY-PIT, presented by Home Advisor, the fast and easy way to find the right pro for any kind of home project, whether it's a small repair or a major remodel. And not only do we want to give you the answer to your home improvement or decor question, we also want to give you some tools to take on projects around your house. And this hour, we've got the iconic T-50 heavy-duty staple gun from Arrow going out to one caller drawn at random. It's the most popular American-made staple gun ever it's made with all chrome steel housing. It's jam resistant. It's got a really cool coil spring that doesn't break down. Very powerful staple viewing window, steel working parts, lots of things you can do with a tool like this. In fact, if you go to arrowfastener.com and click on projects, you'll get a small sample of all the projects you can get done in your house with the Arrow T50. Going out to one caller, drawn at random, make that you. The number again is one eight 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 Money Pit. Well, if you'd like to build your own wood deck or brick paver patio this spring, all it takes is an evaluation of the space you have, a selection of the right materials, and basic construction knowledge. But how do you know which is best to build, a wood deck or a paver brick patio? They're both pretty popular. Yeah, I guess it depends on a couple of things, but primarily the height above the grade. Now, if you plan to have your outer surface be more than a foot higher than grade, a deck really is best. Otherwise, it makes sense to go with a patio. Now, if you do go with a patio, those brick paver patios can include brick or natural stone or cement pavers, and they're installed in sand. Now, the natural stone is really the biggest challenge to work with because it's kind of like assembling a puzzle, right? You have to put all those pieces in and have them line up just right. But once this project is done, they're pretty much maintenance-free. Um, you just want to be mindful of the most common paver patio mistake, and that comes from not properly prepping that base. And when that happens, the bricks or the stones are loosened, and then the weeds will grow through just as quick, and it does not look good. Now, when it comes to wood decks, let's talk about the cost here, and that's really a huge variable just because there are so many materials that you can choose from at a variety of price points. Now, they're the least expensive when you go with a simple wooden deck, but they can be troublesome to maintain. So if your budget is healthy and tolerance for maintenance is low, you might like to consider composite decking. I mean, it's gorgeous and it's really easy to take care of, but whatever the decking surface and railing material you choose, pressure-treated lumber is generally the standard for the construction of the floor framing and all of that structure of support for that deck. So you're still going to end up with pressure-treated lumber in the mix somewhere. Now, here's an important thing not to forget, and that is don't forget to get a building permit. It doesn't matter if you're doing a wood deck or a patio. You want to get that permit because if you plan to sell your home in the future, your local zoning or code enforcement inspector might be contacted for an inspection, and you want to make sure that you've done everything properly. There's no worse time to have that kind of thing pop up than when you're trying to sell your home. And that's today's Building with Confidence tip brought to you by Rocket Mortgage by Quicken Loans. It's completely online, reduces annoying and time-consuming paperwork, and gives you a real, accurate, and personalized mortgage solution based on your unique financial situation with no hidden fees or hassles. Rocket Mortgage by Quicken Loans. Apply simply, understand fully, mortgage confidently. All right, now let's welcome a husband and wife team, Bill and Jean from Missouri, tackling a garage project. Welcome, guys. We're building a garage, and we were curious about the the concrete floor in this garage. Does it need to be four inches? Should it be more than four inches thick? 
And then also, what kind of finish would you recommend that we put on the concrete? Well, for a garage floor, especially if you're going to have any heavier equipment in there, I would probably go with at least six inches, and I would make it a um, a reinforced garage floor. In other words, I would pour it through uh, woven wire mesh or whatever reinforcement material you choose. You want to make sure that the soil beneath the floor is, is thoroughly tamped because that's where most people go wrong if they're in, a, they're in a hurry to get the garage floor poured. They don't take the time to really thoroughly pack down the soil underneath. And if you don't, it'll ultimately crack. And in terms of the finish, I think probably the best concrete finishes today are the epoxy-based finishes. Uh, you mix up the epoxy. It's two parts. There's a hardener and the base product. You mix it together. You apply it. You have all sorts of different color and different finish options you can do with that, but it chemically cures. And once it does, it really locks in tight to the concrete, so it's not going to peel off, and it gives you really terrific protection. What about using a polisher to polish the concrete? That's an option as well, but you still have to have something that's ultimately going to seal in that surface, because remember, concrete is extremely porous, and in a barn, who knows what's going to be spilled on that. Right. Okay. Yeah, I, I I did a little research on concrete poli- or polishing, and it's it's quite an operation. I mean, it's not it's not for the faint of heart, eh? Yeah, no, I'm not going to do it myself. Oh no, <laughs> no, you're going to have your wife do it. <laughs> hey, you've been around. <laughs> no, uh, my, my concrete man said it's four inches. All I'm going to put in this car in this garage is a couple of old collector old cars. Antique cars. Yeah, then you want that shiny floor so the cars look awesome. That's right. I want shiny. <laughs> All right, Bill and Jean, thanks so much for calling us at 888 Money Pit. Hey, are your ducks and vents making it impossible to find any peace and quiet at home? We're going to tell you how to keep that noise in check when the Money Pit continues. You live in a Money Pit. Money Pit is presented by Home Advisor. Find trusted home improvement pros for any project at homeadvisor.com. Where home solutions live, this is the Money Pit. I'm Tom Kreitler. And I'm Leslie Segretti. And the Money Pit is presented by homeadvisor.com, where you can find top rated home improvement pros you can trust. Call in your home improvement question 24 7 to 1 888 Money Pit. All right. And while you're online, you can post your question in the community section, just like Michelle from New York did. Now, Michelle writes, we have a ranch house with forced air heating and cooling. The master bedroom is across the hall from the nursery and the ductwork runs under the floors between the rooms. With both doors closed, we can hear the baby in his room through the vents. Is there a way to prevent the sound transmission short of covering up the duct with blankets? Covering the ducts is going to make the vents ineffective for heating and cooling. Yeah, you think? <laughs> I guess there's no on-off switch on that baby monitor. Yeah, it's no. pretty much on all the time. Listen, there is another option, and the best approach is to use an insulated heating duct. Insulated ducts are lined with fiberglass, and they can reduce some, but potentially not all of that sound transmission. So to accomplish it, that whole duct would have to be removed and replaced. So you might be better off just thinking toward a future where the baby perhaps won't be crying quite as much. Listen, we all go through it and we all get through it. So if you want to avoid that major repair uh, right now and all of the expense associated with it, just put up with it because frankly, you're going to need that money for a college education. (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> it's only getting more expensive. <laughs> All right. Next up, we've got a poster from Juan in Texas who writes, I offset and reconstructed a retaining wall against my house recently, which exposed more of the basement's exterior cinder block wall. This previously underground cinder block has tar coating on it for waterproofing, and I hate the way it looks. Any suggestions on what might look nicer? I was hoping something like a white tar coating exists just so it looks nice. Yeah, actually, there is a product that's white that is a foundation coating. Um, I think it's called Tanner Tough, Leslie, T-A-N-N-E-R, Tough. I know okay. that it's available in several colors, and I think it's sold at the Home Depot, so check out their website at homedepot.com. But keep in mind, with all those coatings, you need to make sure that the surface you're applying to it is clean and dry. And most importantly, don't remove that existing coating. It's there for a reason. If you scrape it off, you are not going to have a good result. Now, since that uh, soil is all pulled away as well, make sure that after you get the coating on and it dries, you want to regrade it to slope away from the foundation because if you let it settle and become flat, then a lot of water is going to sit against it, and that's going to encourage more water to weep through the foundation, and that is in part the purpose of that coating. But, you know, look, no matter how much that coating you put on, the house isn't going to flow. The water will find its way in, and now's a really good time uh, to do that. And, you know, this past weekend I was looking at uh, a house for uh, my cousin who was having a water problem. He lives on the water, so you think, well, of course you're going to have a water problem because you live on the water, but not necessarily uh, in this case. Again, even though he had a very porous stone surface, his downspouts handling about half his roof were dropping right at the foundation. And because of that, water was coming up into a sump in the garage. And so by extending that one spout and controlling that water, the problem went away. Jeez, I mean, it really is sort of like a a problem-solving technique. You've got to find out what's going on, take those steps, try different things, see what's working, and eventually you'll find out where this water is coming from and figure it out. And it's usually all of the things Tom just said. This is the Money Pit Home Improvement Show. Hey, thank you so much for spending this part of your day with us. We hope we've given you some tips and ideas and motivation to avoid the perspiration when you take on those projects around your house. Want to give a shout out to our website at moneypit.com. Over 10,000 helpful posts right there covering pretty much every single aspect of the house in some even more than once. So take a look at moneypit.com. If you've got some questions, you'll find the answers right there. But if not, you can also post your question 24-7 to the community page on that site. I'm Tom Kreitler. And I'm Leslie Segretti. Remember, you can do it yourself. But you don't have to do it alone. 